1: We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code Charlotte Reader, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things, too. But enough with the prologue, let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with David Oakley, author of Nobody Eats Parsley and Other Things I Learned from My Family. Dave's book ushers us front and center to the inner circus of his family life with stories so ridiculous you might think they're fiction, like the time David went to an X-rated drive-in without realizing his parents were in the next car, or the time he let his kid throw a rock through their living room window. Or the time he bought a camouflage thong in a bait shop and the time he ruined a kid's birthday party and the other time he ruined a kid's birthday party. Tracy Lee Curtis, humorous and author of Trophy Mom, says she wouldn't last a week in David Oakley's wacky family, but she would pay good money to attend their reunion. Each chapter is filled with humorous events from Dave's world, and he's gotten some great praise from the book from his family, like the blur from his mother, uh, who says the book helps her fall asleep at night. And the one by his wife, he says, David really makes her laugh, especially in bed. Dave, welcome to the show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love having that praise for my family, man. They're really behind me on this one.
1: <laughs> they, they really are. And speaking of which, you've gotten some, uh, you know, some great endorsements there. You know, like, well, of course, the one I mentioned from author Tracy Curtis, who's a, a humorist, uh, she she says she wouldn't last a week in your wacky family. But then your your family endorsements, not just the ones I just mentioned, but you have some others as well. Um you know, your daughter, uh, Sydney says this may not be my dad's best book, but it's definitely in the top two. <laughs> 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 and, and, and I like your sons who is David Oakley, by the way, you know,
0: uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to tell you, humor kind of runs through our family. They, they think it's kind of fun to bust on dad, which I, I kind of like too.
1: Yeah. Well, congratulations on the book.
0: Well, thanks. It was a lot of work and I really appreciate you having me on your show. Um, it's an honor. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I'm glad to have you here. Um, You know, it's a lot of fun uh, reading through these uh, memoirs. And actually, you know, this is this is essentially um, a memoir uh, in essays. It's just different stories that you've brought together. And the title, Nobody Eats Parsley and Other Things I Learned from My Family. And I want to talk to you about that title for just a second, because uh, well, first of all, what did you learn? Uh, about parsley what did your family teach you about parsley uh, i've read the story maybe we can't get without putting an explicit tag we probably can't get into the total specifics of that but uh, parsley had a role in your family humor as well right
0: <laughs> it sure did it really started out with like i mean you know it always got left on the plate whenever we would have a, a steak dinner my mom would garnish it with um a little sprig of parsley and it never would get eaten but my uncle who was you know i don't know he was probably in his 50s at the time when i was 14 or 15 It was one of his – nobody eats parsley is actually the punchline to a joke that he would always tell. And he thought it was so funny. And I have to admit, I thought it was kind of funny at the time too because when you're 14 or 15, you'll probably laugh at anything. But um, it's just a very simple question. What's the difference between parsley and – you'll have – just all I can tell you is Google – Google Nobody Eats Parsley Joke, and you'll find what it is. I don't think I can say it. This is a family podcast.
1: Um, Yeah, well, it's not always that way, but you can also find out if you turn to page 133 of your book, because that's where the story is. But uh, (laughs) in your introduction, uh, you also say you wanted your title to be the punchline of a joke so that people couldn't make your book a punchline, right?
0: Right. I figured I'd go ahead and get that done because my, my book couldn't become a punchline because it had always been a punchline. So you know, you never yeah. know. And writers are insecure. I didn't know what people would think of it. I mean, it could become a a running joke that you know this book was not not good. But you know, I I, I will be honest about it. It's a lot of work went into it. I'm very proud of it, and I really wrote it uh, for my family more than anything because we've had so many fun times, so many fun stories, and and uh, we find humor in what we do. And I think being able to to laugh and love and 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 whoever said laughter is the best medicine uh, was a genius because I think it's, it's, it's a way to go through life with a positive attitude and finding humor in a lot of things, even tough situations.
1: Yeah. I felt myself laughing as I was reading these stories. It is, it is a good pick me up. And, uh, you know, I also love how you put on the cover at the very top, uh, not a New York Times bestseller. You just need to get that out of the way, right?
0: Yeah, just had to put it out there. It's funny because I was looking at so many books and they all were like, New York Times bestseller, <laughs> New York Times bestseller. And I'm like, man, everybody's a New York Times bestseller. I don't think this one will be, but so I'll just be honest about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know if you were, a f- I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the book Lonesome Dove. And uh yeah. th- there was a series, uh, in the nineties, I think with Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones. And they, there was this one scene where they had this sign and the sign said, we don't rent pigs. And they got in a, Tommy Lee Jones and Robert, got in a big argument about it. Their characters did. And, uh, Augustus McCray said, well, I, I think if you don't rent pigs, you should just come right out and say it, you know, and that's kind of what you're doing on the cover here. Yeah. If it's not a bestseller, you should just come right out and say it. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but looking at the cover itself, if you look at it, uh, let's let's give it the image for our listeners here. They're going to be able to see it in the show notes because I'll put it there. But uh, in addition to the title, Nobody Eats Parsley and Other Things I Learned from My Family, we've got an empty plate with a sprig of parsley, and it uh, looks like somebody's devoured a meal there.
0: Yeah, that's usually what's left after you have a nice ribeye with a little pat of butter on the top and a little sprig of parsley. And usually the only thing left is um, a little bit of steak juice and the, and the sprig of parsley.
1: Yeah. So when I look at this image, I do think of, uh, you know, family meals, um, getting together around the table, having conversation. Did you grow up in that kind of environment where your family was uh, close, where you would eat and talk and laugh and drink and so forth?
0: Um, absolutely. There wasn't a whole lot of drinking unless you consider sweet tea, uh, the <laughs> the beverage of choice Um but we did grow up where we met and we had our meals together we would always have dinner together i mean both of my parents were artists and uh, my mom's still living and she still is a potter my father was a pot- potter and a painter and they um i guess that's where my artistic side came came from i can't draw at all i can't draw a stick figure but i can write a little bit and it's interesting how that happens my son can can illustrate and draw like no one i've ever seen it's amazing how that kind of skipped a gener- generation with me anyway.
1: Yeah, and you, and you talked about the fact that you wrote this book as sort of a gift to your family. But in your introduction, you talk about the fact that you're a collector. You collect autographs, stamps, baseball cards, poker chips. You even said you cre- collect a vintage credit card collections. And you started collecting uh, stories, right? And that's sort of how this book got got born?
0: Yeah, it, w- it really did. I mean, I, I wrote a story about... Um, <laughs> Sorry, I wrote a story about, about my dad who, like, I didn't realize this at the time, but I found out later that he always took his afternoon naps without underwear on, naked, I guess, you know, so he would, he, okay, so it, it, with no underwear. Then I wrote a story about how I went into a bait shop to buy bait for Lucas and I to go fishing and ended up buying some camouflage underwear there for my wife. Because I felt like guilty because I'd made a comment about it. And the lady there was saying how much she loved wearing this. And I was like, man, I'm going to offend her if I don't buy some. <laughs> so I bought that. And suddenly I have two underwear stories. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, I gave um, our six-year-old nephew um, a pair of tidy whiteys for his sixth birthday. You know, and ruined his party, his birthday party. I did it as a joke and it wasn't funny. So suddenly I had three underwear stories. I had a little collection of underwear stories. So I'm like, well, there's there's a collection.
1: <laughs> That's great. Well, let's talk about uh, the book itself. It's a memoir in four parts. Uh, you have part one, Dave's World. Part two, Growing Up. Part three, Embellish and Exaggerate. And part four, uh, they're just people. Sounds a little bit like uh, Jeopardy uh, options there, you know, to, to choose from. Oh yeah. Uh, but let's do the settings here, Dave. Let's talk about some of the settings in in these different chapters. And I want to, you know, kind of hone in on a couple of stories that jumped out at me. And in, in Dave's world, um, and I, I guess that title comes from one of the stories you wrote because somebody uh, looked at you and looked at your hair and kind of thought you looked like uh, Garth in Wayne's World. Is that right?
0: That is true. I mean, I walked I walked in to buy a scratch-off at the at the Circle K and and the guy goes, "I know you." And I was kind of like a little bit like, "Oh, well, you know, um, you know, yeah, maybe you do. I mean, I wrote a book, you know." Yeah. <laughs> and then he was like, "No, you're like I I know who you. Are. You're the guy from Saturday Night Live. Wayne's World, Wayne's World, you know, Party on Garth." I mean, it was just like, "Oh my gosh." It was like you just have to have a very like I mean, your ego gets a, a bunch of hits when you're a, when you're a writer. You think you're good, but like no one really cares that you wrote a book. You know?
1: Yeah. You well, know, for just a second, you thought he he was thinking that you're a New York Times bestselling author. Right? Exactly. <laughs>
0: for one split second, I thought, man, wow, people know who I am.
1: <laughs> yeah. But no. So, so okay. One of the stories I talk about in Dave's World is the poker table bet, and the reason I want to talk about this with you is because uh, you took a trip to Vegas with your mother and your sister was this after your father had died yes uh okay and so it was a family trip you go to vegas and uh uh i just want you to uh talk about that story a minute because i took a trip with my dad and my son i might weave that into this conversation as well so tell us about your trip to vegas and how it turned out so well for your mother
0: well it was it you know we realized that my my sister and I we all all the Oakleys like to gamble. We like to go to casinos we, we just do it's something that we, we we really have in common. We're not like crazy gamblers. we just like to sit there and, and have a beer and, and play blackjack or whatever or slot machines, whatever. But we realized that my mom had never been to Vegas and she was 77 and my sister Lisa and I decided let's 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 take her let's do a big trip and, and you know she she was really excited about it. But we made a bet on how much we, you know, like what 50 year old would like expect their mom to give them gambling money except for Lisa and I. So we, um, we made a bet on how much money our mom would give us. And, um, we, we had an over under bet on it and it was $300. Anyway, we went out to Vegas and it was great until my mom had an episode at, um, the O show And had a serious health issue, had to go to the hospital and almost died that night. And it it went into like how stupid we were, what idiots Lisa and I were for like betting on something like that. But the the best thing about the story to me was that we made it through. My mom made it through. We were in Vegas for an extra week. I didn't put this in the story, but Lisa and I actually went out every night that my mom was in the hospital and played blackjack. But that's another part of it. (laughs) (laughs) we couldn't help ourselves, but she made it through. And that was the biggest win that we could have ever had, but that she made it home and she'll never forget going to Vegas with us.
1: She also hit it big at the end, right?
0: Yes, she did. Right. After being in the hospital for a week, we came back to the Bellagio and spent one night and the next morning we're getting ready to go to the airport. And she's like, I've got a feeling about this one armed bandit I've got to play. And she put in, like $40 and hit for $750 on the slot machine. And it was like the perfect ending to the story. We all were big winners.
1: That's great. Well, I took a trip out West one time. My daughter, we stopped in St. Louis, went to one of those barges. I gave her 50 bucks to go gamble. I went and gambled my 50 away, came back, you know, I asked her how she did. She said she made 50 bucks. Of course, she never put any in the machine. She just kept it for herself. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then my son and my dad and I went out. We're all, uh, our names are Hamlin Landis Wade. And then there's Hamlin Landis Wade Jr. and Hamlin Landis Wade the Third. My dad was 70, I was 50, and my son had just turned 21. It was a great trip. Oh, yeah. but, but my dad, the thing he was worried about is whether he's going to get a seat by the window. And I said, Dad, it doesn't matter. Your ticket, all the names are the same. Just pick whichever seat you, whichever seat you want. You know. But uh, you know, we lost all our money. I have to tell you. You know, we 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 ascribe to the theory in my family that you take as much money as you're prepared to lose, and then you lose it, and you have a good time doing it. Right.
0: That's exactly yeah. our theory as well. You yeah, just go out. Yeah. It's it's your entertainment. I mean, if you're going exactly. to pay, you know, a hundred dollars for a ticket to um, a Cirque du Soleil show, why not right. play blackjack for two hours <laughs> on that hundred dollars?
1: Exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's go to uh, growing up here. Uh, you had a, a experience, some good stories in here about growing up, but one of them is one that uh, I kind of likens to the time, not quite as graphic as what you have here, but uh, my mother took me to see the last picture show, and I had to sit beside her, you know, doing that, you know, that that scene where I think a civil shepherd or something is getting it on with somebody or whatever. Yeah. So, but you had a totally different experience at the Starlight Drive-In. Ah, uh, you and some buddies went one night, right? And at yeah. that time, at that time, anyone who rode up and down the road, you know, they had these. Sometimes they would have the lights that shine out toward the street because that way you couldn't see what was on the.
0: That's exactly right. <laughs>
1: on the movie screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, because they were playing what X-rated movies, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. how crazy is that when you think about that now? And I was having a conversation outside Boone Oakley one day with Mary Gross and Steve Lash. And we just started talking and I, we we were talking about drive-ins. And I said, I asked Mary, I said, did you go to drive-ins when you were a kid? And she said, yeah. Did they, I said, did they play X-rated movies? She's like, what? You mean porn? I'm like, yeah. "Yeah." And it was like, so she's, you know, 30, she had no idea that this actually happened. And um, we, you know, Steve and I kind of explained how it, it was kind of commonplace back in the, early 80s, I guess, you know, that's kind of, you know, before VCRs, but they would play those. And one night, um, me and three of my best friends in high school were riding around in my dad's van. And, you know, you're riding around. And back then you would, you know, get a six pack of beer and you drive around and, and drink. It was terrible. I mean, when you think about it now, but we decided to go to the Starlight Drive-In because they were playing a movie called Insatiable starring Marilyn Chambers. Who turned out to be the Ivory Snow Girl? Um, she was on, she was on the cover of Ivory Snow detergent, which was probably a competitor with Tide at the time. I mean, a big you know, it was on all the grocery shelves. Anyway, she was an X-rated movie star, and when they found that out, they got rid of her as the spokesperson. Anyway, we went to the um, drive-in. We're there, and you know, stay for like an hour or whatever. Then we leave, go on home. The next day. I'm up working with my dad in this pottery studio, and he goes, Dave, what'd you do last night? I was like, I, you know, went, rode around. He's, oh, really? Where'd you go? Did you go to Durham? Yeah, we went to Durham. We drove through there. Yeah. Did you go to a movie? And I'm sitting there like, uh, what? He goes, that's so funny. You didn't go to a movie? There was a guy in a van that looked just like my van who pulled in and parked right in front of your mom and I. And I'm sitting there like, what? You know, like, wait, what? That is gross, disgusting, and, and I'm going to throw up right now. Wait, you and, and, and mom were at that same movie? It, and, and, and he just thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. And it was. It's like they had gone to this movie. I mean, that is like the most embarrassing moment of my life, realizing that my parents were at an X-rated movie. And double embarrassing because they caught me at it.
1: Uh, yeah. it's the first time you realized they'd had sex, right?
0: I know. I didn't yeah. think it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: well, a little known fact about, uh, Marilyn Chambers, uh, being a law student, uh, there there was a famous case. Uh, she, she also starred in what they called behind the green door and her co-star was a fellow who took the name Hadley V. Baxendale and Hadley V. Baxendale is a famous English case. Look it up sometime. It involved a crankshaft that broke and, uh, that's the, that's the porn name he assumed was Hadley v. Baxendale. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> little little of fact there. You know, all the law students that, that was that was being taught in our contract classes. uh You know, in the in the day. So, you know, you learn some things in law school. Sometimes they don't always help you, but uh, you learn them. Hadley uh, but, v. Baxendale. Hadley, Hadley v. Baxendale with a B. Yeah. Okay. All right, Dave. We're going to do. Um, have you do a reading now on the show. We do this on Charlotte Podcast. Uh, I like to hear authors give voice to the written words. This is from part two growing up, and the title of this piece is called I'll Just Call You. And I'd like you to set up uh, who's in this scene, and then uh, you're going to read sort of toward the end of the story to the very end. But uh, tell us who's in the story and what's going on.
0: Uh, this is one of my favorite stories, and it's a it's a favorite of mine because my aunt, has told me this story several times, and I just laugh when she tells me this. But um, she and her friend, my Aunt Hallie, who is now 85 and is hilarious. She is a sweet tea-drinking, church-going Southerner from Butner, North Carolina, who has a great turn about her and can tell a story like no one you can believe. Um, But she talks about this trip that she made with her friend Linda back in the mid 70s that they would go down to Myrtle Beach and they would go down and spend the weekend and go shagging and meet golfers and have a great time. Well, this whole thing talks about when they were driving back from Myrtle Beach once. And on the way back, um, they were on I-95 heading up past south of the border near Fayetteville. And there was a guy following them. And the guy pulls up beside him and says, hey, let me buy you a drink. And, you know, she, instead of like speeding up and getting out of there, she said, where do you want to go? And he goes, "Hardy's." So they are like, okay, let's, that's, that, apparently that was a panty dropper back in the, in the seventies. Let's go to Hardy's. So this is the guy talking and I'm going to do my best Aunt Hallie and Linda as well. You girls look like you've been at the beach. The man said with a thick North Carolina accent. Well, you're right. We've been down at North Myrtle. Hallie said to him. That's a nice place, he said. Were you down at Myrtle, too? Hallie asked. No, I'm on my way back from a funeral in Georgia. A friend of mine passed away. She told him she was sorry to hear that. Where are you ladies from? I'm from Butner, and Linda is from Durham, she said. Well, I'm from Selma. It's a little town about 50 miles north of here, he said. Oh, I've heard of Selma, she said. The guy then asked them what they wanted to drink. Tea, they both said. Sweet tea. So he got up and went to the counter and got three teas. Hallie told me, by the time he sat back down, we were all more at ease, and he really did seem like a nice fella. We had a lot in common. We were all from eastern North Carolina. He seemed to take a little bit more of a liking to me than Linda. Maybe it was because I was a small-town girl, and Linda was more of a city girl. She was from Durham. The conversation continued, and after we'd been there for about half an hour, the guy said to me, Selma isn't that far from Butner. Can I call you sometime? Can you call me? Well, will you give me your phone number? Well, I guess that'll be all right. He took out an ink pen from his coat pocket and wrote the number on the Hardy's napkin. I can't believe I just gave you my phone number, "'And I don't even know your name,' Hallie said. "'I just call you,' he replied in a thick accent. "'No, you're not going to just call me. "'Why not? "'What's your name? "'I just call you.' "'Well, Hallie said she crossed her arms "'and started to get really annoyed with this guy. "'She didn't want some random guy calling her "'if she didn't even know his name. "'What's the problem?' he asked. "'I told you my name.' No, you didn't, Hallie insisted. I just call you. My name is Otis Collier. What in the hell are you talking about, Hallie asked. He took out another napkin and spelled his name on it. O-T-I-S-C-O-L-L-I-E-R. Otis Collier. Otis Collier. Can you believe that was his name, Hallie asked me. Odys call you. The two of us were cracking up. When I composed myself, I asked what I thought was an obvious question Well, did Otis call you ever call you? Hallie's face turned from total laughter to a semi frown. He did. And you know what? She burst into laughter again. That SOB was married. <laughs>
1: That's a great story. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, Dave, you've had these experiences, a lot of humor. Um, you've had some touching moments that you talk about in the book too. We've already touched on nobody eats parsley. There's this uh, great story that uh, is in part four of the book that's called "Losing My Head," and it involves you and your father. But I believe you said when you got to be a teenager, you started calling him Sid, right?
0: Right. That's true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you and your father, Sid, uh, he's such a kind man. Uh, he, he gave, he'd gave. he sometimes give his pottery away to people instead of sell it if he made a connection and liked them. And, and that favor got returned one time because when he did it, he happened to give the pottery to somebody who was really high up in Nashville who invited him. And then you got to go along to the Country Music Awards uh, and see a lot of big talent. Uh, something happened with the, uh, camera didn't work quite as well as you had had hoped it would. Um, but there's a, that's just a touching moment here, I think in the book. And I just want you to talk about that because it sounds to me like a road trip you'll never forget.
0: It's true. My dad called me and I just moved to New York. I'd been living in New York for about a year after graduating from college, I, you know, I was working in an ad agency in New York and he called and said, uh, at, he told me that someone had come into the shop and he'd given him a piece of pottery. And uh, the guy was so touched with it, he asked my dad if he was a fan of country music. And my dad was like, yeah, I grew up on country music. Um, well, um, I'm the executive producer for the CMAs. Uh, would you like to come to Nashville in October and, and be my guest? I mean, it was crazy. So he called me in New York and asked if I would like to fly to Nashville and meet him. And I'd never been to Nashville. My dad had never been to Nashville. You know, we flew to Nashville, stayed at the luxurious Days Inn out on Interstate 40 and got there. And, you know, I wasn't expecting anything, but maybe like a seat at the back of the arena, you know, on Saturday night. But we got there. My dad goes, um, my friend asked me to come to the rehearsal. Let's go over and see what the rehearsal's like. I'm like, "Well, isn't it the same thing as the show? Why would we want to go to that?" You know. Um, you know, I'm a typical, you know, 24-year-old idiot, you know, just just, you know, no appreciation, but we ended up going to this uh rehearsal, and I'm sitting there like we he brought us in, set us down in the middle of the Grand Ole Opry house, and we're sitting there in the audience and there's probably 10 people in the whole place, but different stars are up on stage. Um practicing Kitty Wells was on stage and I didn't even know who she was my dad explained to me but then all of a sudden I hear a voice from behind me and it's like hey boys is this your first time to Nashville <laughs> and it was a familiar voice and I turned around and if I hadn't been sitting down I would have fallen over into the floor but Dolly Parton came and sat down right beside me
1: you need yeah. to work on your you need to work on your Dolly Parton there a little bit Dave. yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: give me a, give me some coaching on it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but she, so she sits down. She's very nice to you, you. You see others that night, and you, you're starting to take pictures. Back in the day when we didn't have, you know, the the iPhones we have today, you're taking them with film, and your dad's pointing the cameras. You think where he should be, but not quite to to where when you look at the photos later, he cuts your head off in one of the pictures, right?
0: He cut my head. I was so excited to meet Dwight Yoakam. He was my idol at the time, and I went and talked to Dwight, and I got my dad to take a picture of Dwight and I backstage, and I kept looking at my dad. I'm like, you are are you sure you know how to use this camera? And he was pointing it more like at our crotches versus at our faces, and it turned out that in every shot that he took of me with Loretta Lynn, Hank Williams Jr., and Dwight Yoakam, he cut my head off, or he cut it right at my eyes, like right at my eyes, and so like even Dwight like you see he's cut in his eyes he has no cowboy hat on nothing so i was so and, and, and after, after the show the next day like and i took pictures of him like he brought a pot for Emmy Lou Harris so he got to meet Emmy Lou Harris who he had a i didn't realize at the time he had a huge crush on but anyway so the next day we went immediately to this place called Photomat which is where at the time there was a Photomat you know one hour photo thing in every strip mall in america basically you could take your photos and you have them developed in an hour so we dropped them off and you know when we opened them they were great they they were proof that we were there but everyone had my head cut off and every one of my dad was they were great i'd taken great pictures i have to admit they were good pictures and i was so happy that i had pictures of him and emmy lou uh which were great but i was furious at him i was like only a 24 year old son could be just so mad at the dad because he had ruined my proof anyway so and i i gave him the silent treatment we went to waffle waffle house and i just sat there the whole time didn't say anything and about after his third cup of coffee he looked at me and he just goes you know david a photograph is nothing to lose your head over <laughs> and he just started laughing and i couldn't help it man i just started laughing and i realized that but, you know, as as time has gone on, those pictures actually were perfect.
1: Yeah, you said you ended the essay by saying, looking back, I realized the pictures were perfect, picture perfect. But that still doesn't change the fact that Sid was a shitty photographer. <laughs> 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 yeah. The theme of the book, I guess, and I was thinking about this, um, you know, how you might describe the string that pulls all the way through this narrative here, all the way through these um, essays. I mean, is it families who can laugh and cry together, can stay together? or Is it something else? What what, what comes to mind for you?
0: Well, I'm glad someone finally figured it out, Landis. Thank <laughs> you. Maybe that's it. I like yeah. that. It really is about families and love and humor and um, seeing fun and 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 laughing about a lot of a lot of fun times.
1: We don't have much time left, but just quickly about the writing life and your day job. You work at uh, Boone Oakley, and uh, you're in advertising. You've been in the North Carolina Advertising Hall of Fame. Uh, I guess in advertising, I mean you're telling stories, right? So there is a connection here. What, what is it from your advertising career that you think helps you as a writer?
0: I think like writing, and t- you're always telling stories. You're telling stories for different brands. I mean, for example, you know we we worked with Bojangles for ten years, and we helped tell the story of like what it's like in the morning to have that craving for a biscuit. Biscuit, you know, we're the guys who came up with a "It's Bow Time," and that's a um, that pretty much tells a story in three words, actually. Um,
1: yeah, that that's great. So why do you love to write, Dave?
0: It just makes me happy. It's it's really an odd thing. I get inspiration from it. It's my passion. I like the way it makes me feel, and I like the way it makes other people feel when they read it. I like to make people laugh. I've kind of been like that my whole life. I enjoy um being around people who are having fun, and I like, I like Writing because it makes people laugh.
1: And during this process, you said earlier when we were talking, you said this was hard. It was a difficult process to complete this book. Uh, what was hard about it for you, um, and uh, how did you overcome some of those difficulties in putting this book together?
0: Well, I mean, it, it's always hard to have the discipline to sit down and actually write them, and and go through You can tell a story, and you can put it down, and you can write it down, and then when you when you tell a story. And how it's read is a little bit differently, but it it takes a lot of discipline to, you know, get up early in the morning, you know, get up at six, write for two hours before you go to work or, you know, decide like at night, you know, it's nine o'clock. I'm going to write for an hour and a half before I go to bed. You just have to consistently doing that and you just have to be disciplined to do it. It doesn't just happen. So it's a lot of work, but I'm so proud of it and I'm so happy with how it came out and um, I just want to make people smile with it. It makes me smile. Um, it really was designed to make my family smile. And hopefully I have a little bit bigger family than just the the, the Oakleys and D'Andrea's, Claire's family.
1: Well, I think you just answered uh, my next question, was what you hoped readers would get from the book. It sounds like you want them to have a good time just as you did, you know, in putting it together and putting it out there for your family and friends, although you kind of joked about the fact that it's going to cut into your, uh, you, you know, communications with all your friends when you're out because if they've read your all your stories, there's gonna be nothing else for you to tell them. Right? I, I won't have anything to
0: talk about. <laughs> I mean they're like, oh my God, he's so boring. All he talks about is that stupid book and those stories over and over. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and you know, it is a little different, uh, when you think about it, there's a whole lot of uh more words in this book than in uh Tagline for Bojangles It's Bo Time. You can't stop after three words when you're writing a book, right?
0: You can. It would be good if you could. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier.
1: <laughs> well, look, uh, this has been great, uh, Dave. We're going to uh, listeners, um, you can find information about Dave in the show notes at uh, charlotte's podcast.com, uh, links uh, to his book uh, and other interesting things about Dave. And also, uh, if you like, you're going to get a chance, uh, if you want to, to jump over because we're going to jump over to our Patreon site. Uh, and have a conversation with Dave and, uh, his publicist, Linda Bouchard, who we're going to be talking as part of our listener supported, uh, platform, uh, you know, how authors and, uh, publicists can work together to put this, uh, kind of work out into the world. So, uh, check that out. Uh, you can find that on Charlotte's uh, Charlotte Rears podcast at our Patreon page or at, uh, patreon.com, uh, forward slash Charlotte readers podcast. Hey Dave, it's been great having you on, uh, on the show here. And, uh, I look forward to continuing this conversation in a moment, uh, for our listener supporters.
0: Landis, thank you for the opportunity. And I have to tell you, I had such a good time this morning talking with you and you're a fantastic man. you I <laughs> applaud you for doing over 200 of these and, um, hopefully this ranks in the top 200.
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of like sweet tea—you get addicted to it, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's that it's that Bojangle sweet tea, right? I yeah.
0: like it. I like it a lot. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right. Well, thanks. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify